Hello, everyone. Welcome to the We Are Children's Division podcast. Do we have a treat for you today? Uh, we have a we have a group here uh, in uh, in this podcast, but our special guest today is uh, is the reigning Miss Black Missouri Eugenia Doreen Wallace. So we're going to introduce you to her in just a minute. Uh, before we do that, I'd like to I'd like to uh, say to Ashton Ashton, thank you for setting this up all up. Ashton Kiever, our communications. Guru is here. Ashton, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm really looking forward to this conversation and getting to know more about Eugenia. Yeah, Ash, Ashton, Ashton's the one who arranged all this, like Ashton arranges a lot of things. And uh, just appreciate you, Ashton, and appreciate all you do. And, and last but not least, uh, our very own Deputy Director of Permanency, though we know that's not my favorite word, permanency, uh, is Angie Swearns. Angie, how are you today? I'm great, Daryl. Thank you. And thank you, Eugenia, for being here with us today. Permanency in our language um, covers any child that's in an out-of-home placement. And we strive in Missouri to always be finding better ways to serve our children. So we really look for the lived experience that we can learn from others, as well as um, just really learning about how your passion going forward will help us shape the work in a better way. That's right. So permanency really doesn't mean Concrete. It means uh, it for us. It means the 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 back end of our system, the the, the kids who are in care and and their lives after. Which is why it's great for for uh, why it's great for Angie to be here. Thank you, Angie, for being here. So so Eugenia, how we do this is we just kind of we, we kind of have a conversation and and talk. But but welcome. Uh, we are really glad you're here today. Thank you. I'm excited to be here just to have the conversation with you all and get to know. Just more about our world in foster care and how we can help our youth. All right, so I'm excited about it. So, Eugenia, first of all, uh, there's the issue of your name because when you, we write down your name, it's it's we we see Eugenia Doreen Wallace. That that has a story to it, I I think. Why don't you uh, tell us <laughs> tell us about that? Yes, it definitely has a story to it. So, growing up, my father named all of my older siblings after him, which his name is Eugene. So, all of my brother's name is Eugene. And, of course, my first name is Eugenia. So, in school, when we get called down to the office and they would come on the intercom, say, can Eugene Wallace please come to the office? Well, it's about four of us. <laughs> so we will all go down to the office and go, well, who are you talking about? So we would then go by our middle name so you could tell which Eugene <laughs> or Eugenia you're talking about. So that's why I either go by Eugenia or Doreen. So Eugenia yes. Doreen. So your your dad was like George Foreman because George yes. Foreman did that, didn't he? He named all <laughs> his children George Foreman, which is about as confusing as it could possibly be, but but don't feel bad. My uh, my grandmother did the same thing. She named she didn't name everybody the same name, but she named them a name they didn't use and always used the middle name. Mm -hmm. So you know everybody thought my mom's name was Diane, but it was really Eleanor, and nobody could call her Eleanor and be safe. So anyway, <laughs> except except for my dad. All right, so Eugenia, you have a you have a story. Uh, you in fact uh, were previously uh, in foster care. You've you've got lived experience, right? So why don't why don't you tell us why don't you tell us some things about yourself? You uh, you've got you've got three brothers, is that right? Mm -hmm. Three older brothers. Okay, so tell me tell me about uh, growing up. Uh, you were there with your dad, and and tell us about what your family was like and where things went from there. Yeah, so growing up primarily was just 
my three older brothers and I and my dad. And it was just that small little family dynamic here and there. Every once in a while, my mom would pop in and pop out and some of my other siblings. Um, but primarily in the house, as you can imagine, growing up to the circumstances that led to foster care, it wasn't the easiest road. Um, a lot of house hopping, couch surfing, living in shelters, um, a lot of just, you know, lights getting cut off, lack of food, things like that. And primarily that was due to, you know, some issues my dad was having just within himself, just with substance abuse problems that kind of impacted his parenting in a sense. And so that ultimately led to us, you know, moving around and ultimately going into foster care. Um, but the relationship that I was able to build with my brothers, I was so grateful and fortunate for, you know, we always stuck together and we always had each other's back. So when we separated into our different foster homes, because we eventually were split up, that was devastating. Um, and it taught us a lot about being independent, but it also taught me a lot about extending grace. Um, to my dad and his parenting, my mom, who wasn't really in the picture. So that's kind of how we grew up in the circumstances that led to us being in care. So let me let me follow up a little bit. So what was your what what did your mom have going on? Did she have substance issues too, or what kind of kept her floating around at the fringes? Yeah, substance abuse issues um, as well. And I think um, a lot of children don't really know the full impact of that that they can have on their parent, which kind of attributes to their behavior and then they get the worst of it. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, her and my dad both struggle with that. Sure, why don't, why don't you tell us how you came into foster care? I mean, there are a lot of people who, you know, have some housing instability and, and go from couch to couch and place to place, but somehow the, the state got involved in your life. How old, were, how old were you and how did that happen? Um, I remember going into foster care it was the summer um, before seventh grade. So I was about eight or nine, maybe seven, eight or nine, 10 ish, maybe. Um, and I remember going to my first foster home placement, which was a kinship placement, which was with my godmother, someone I literally met at church, maybe a year or uh, a couple years um before i went into care and she was just like you know what i'm gonna sign up to be a foster parent i'm gonna take you in and you're gonna get through this so the situation the circumstances that led to that was the consistent instability of living food and then abuse started happening so when the state got involved they were like no way and so they okay. decided to split us up okay so so all your brothers couldn't go to your godmother's house right correct, so correct so how did, how did you stay in touch with them? Um, honestly, I had really great social workers at the time that really made sure that communication happened. Um, so we would do visits together, um, supervised visits with my dad. And then when he start, stopped showing up, they were like, well, you guys need to have that visitation and that communication. So I really accredit um, my godmother and my foster parent and the other foster parents and our social workers for trying to keep us together and have that communication. So how long did you stay? Did you stay with your godmother or did you have to move from that placement? Yes, I ended up leaving from that placement and going to another foster home um, in which that was just attributed to them already having older kids and living their life. And my dad wasn't doing the things that he was promising to do. Um, 
and just led to some conflicts and stuff. But I ended up moving to a different foster home. So do you know why that happened or or did somebody just come in one day and say, oh, you're going over there? How did how did that happen uh, for you? Yeah, so it was a mutual decision for my godmother, uh, my goddad, which were my kinship placement providers um, and just letting me be more of a kid. They thought that would be a good move to make because I was the only kid in the house. They have older kids already um, and they were um older and stuff like that and they were like well we don't want her to feel like she's missing out on having that connection with other kids so maybe moving her to a place with other children my age and things like that would be a benefit to me so how, how did you agree with that you know i did i did i was a kid that i was i was getting bored you know academically i did the best that i could i was getting good grades and very involved but i was missing that connection i was used to growing up with other people in you know my age range in the house my brothers and so that was hard and i didn't really know how to connect um with that on an everyday basis outside of school so i did i did agree with that move all right so how old were you when that move happened Oh, how old was I? I would say maybe 12, 13. I was okay. 12 going on 13, yeah. Okay, and, and how long did you stay there? Um, at the new foster home yes. placement? I want to say maybe about two years, almost two years. Okay, and, and, then, and then what happened with that? So my sister on my dad's side, um, reached out, found me on Facebook and said, hey, you know, is this something you would want to explore? Maybe you come and stay with me. And we've had a prior relationship. She would pick me up when I was younger to do summer camps. Um, and then that relationship got distant because we would, you know, be unstable in our living. And so she reached out and I was like, you know what? Yes, <laughs> I would like to explore that option. <laughs> so okay, we so, you went to your, so you went to your sister's house? Mm-hmm. Okay, how long were you with your sister? Until I graduated high school, so three years. Okay, okay. I just, I just, uh, I just recently watched the old movie Lilo and Stitch. I don't know if you've ever seen that that Disney movie, but it was you know a sister raising her, uh, you know, raising her little sister. So that, that's 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 an interesting story. So, uh, okay, so that brings us to you and the end of high school. So. Uh, Angie, you, you live in this world, right? You live in the world of permanency and, and everything that, uh, you know, that, uh, Eugenia just described to us is, is not unusual. Do you have any follow-up questions for her after having, uh, sort of heard her story from, from the beginning of foster care through the graduation of high school? You know, Eugenia, a couple of just great things stood out for me. I really appreciate hearing from you that your placement providers and your workers supported the sibling visits. Um, to me, that uh, that's just, gosh, the heart of what keeps us connected. I think about my own siblings, um, and although sometimes, and maybe you felt this way with brothers, sometimes you just maybe want to strangle your brothers, but they're your brothers, right, at the end of the day, and, and that's who your connections are with. And I think I heard a quote once that our relationships with our siblings is our longest relationship we have, and um, when you think about the totality of that. but. So I appreciate that. I appreciate that focus on, on that for your brothers. I really also, I have to say, you really made me pause and think when you described the point where you were able to decide whether or not to stay with your kinship providers, your godparents, or go into a home 
that would be more normal for you and what you're more um, accustomed to having been raised with your siblings. Because when we look at placement changes, we look at are they made based on the best interests of the child, but we kind of put it in a box of we don't want to move unless absolutely necessary. And I've never heard it phrased the way you did about that you wanted to be with your brothers. That's what you were used to was being in a home with other siblings, with your siblings, with other kids. So I, gosh, I, you phrased that so well. I, I made myself a note about this because it wasn't that we, we think of placement um, moves as a disruption. And I thought that wasn't a disruption. You were intentionally going towards something that was good and meaningful. So I really appreciated that. And then um, just you and your thoughtfulness around taking like your voice to share what you what was meaningful to you. I really admire that and I appreciate that. Um, we can't guess what our kids want. And so we have to have that communication and engagement with you. And so I really appreciate you being able to model that. And I hope that others that hear that message hear how your voice made these pivotal changes you made the decision to go to your sister. You made the decision to go to another home with other kids. So I'm just so proud of you and really appreciate the way you've um, navigated this for yourself. Well, in our manual, thank you. Thank you. you know, in our, in our manual, Angie, that's what they call mastery. That's what they call, you know, that this, you know, you got those five domains of well-being, and one of them is mastery. One of them is, is that this young person has a voice and has some direction with regard to uh, where they ha has some say with regard to where they go and how this goes. And I, I sense that everybody honored that for you, Eugenia, that you had that, and that's, and 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 I want you to know it doesn't happen everywhere every time. And so, so just to uh, man, I got some. Do, are you still in contact with your brothers? Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> All right, so you got a relationship with them. Do you, have you kept track of your dad or mom? Oh, yes, yep. All right, so everybody's still got their relationships, so it was, no, nobody's been, uh, you know, forever cast off, so you still have a relationship with everybody, right? So what happened after high school? So you graduated high school. What did you do then? So I graduated high school and immediately went to college. Uh, so I was 16 when I graduated high school and I started my first college class at 16. I was scared out of my mind, but Where'd I- Where'd you go? Where'd you go? Missouri, Missouri Western State University. Okay, Maryville. St. Joe, St. Joe, close. St. Joe, St. Joe rather. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that's Northwest as well, Maryville. So it's St. Joe, all right. So you went, you went to St. Joe and what did you study there? Criminal Justice and Paralegal Studies. Okay, all right, here we go. Another law, another, we, we talked about being a law geek and, we, oh, and I'm, you know, I'm one and you're one. So, uh, so after you, and so you graduated with that degree from uh -huh. Missouri Western, right? And where'd you go, where, where, what did you do after that? So I graduated on a Saturday and went to work Monday <laughs> and I started okay. working for a law firm, BCLP, which they're phenomenal. Um, and there I started my legal career as a legal admin clerk. And that's where I got all the knowledge about drafting and pleading and filing and motions and contracts and all that good stuff. All right. So what, what are your plans from here? Where are you going to go? What's going to happen? Yes. So my plans from um, where I'm at now. So after BCLP, I actually went and got my master's at WashU School of Law. 
um, with a concentration in legal studies and corporate and business law. So I'm using that now as a senior paralegal at the company that I work for, handling contracts and negotiations. And then eventually, fingers crossed, <laughs> I'm an aspiring attorney. So getting into law school is my next step. All right. Well, good luck to you. Anything we can do to help? Thank anything you. I can do to help, Eugenia will do because I mean, it's, uh, uh, you know, the, the legal career is where I went too. So that I'm excited. I'm excited for you. It's it's great, great work. So, uh, Daryl, I just had a question real room. quick. Yeah. Uh, sorry to interrupt, but uh, no, no, I was so... going to I was going to send it to you anyway because I was going to ask you to ask a question. But why don't you ask the question you're going to ask, well... and then we'll get to that. One. <laughs> well, so Eugene, Eugenia, um, you you said you went to college at 16, and you're still on this path to become um, a legal like guru, you know, an attorney. And um, like, I think about being 18 and struggling to know what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. Where did, where did it come from that, that you wanted to get into law? Like where, where did that passion come from? Because it's obviously still fueling you. And um, I'm just sort of excited to hear that side of the story. Yes, honestly, I would have to give that credit to my dad. He was very big on education. He was very big on learning the language of where you wanted to be. And he would make me every day after school sit down and read encyclopedias. When I was done with that, he would make me watch the news and Condoleezza Rice and he would tell me stories about Johnny Cochran. And I was like, I want to do that. And so that's where my passion for the law came from. It was my dad and he supported that all the way he would have us do mock trials in the living room who ate the last slice of pizza and i would have to be the attorney and figure it out and present an argument so definitely that and i just knew from four to five years old that's what i wanted to do well i just i just love a guy who actually has encyclopedias okay i think that that's the most <laughs> awesome thing ever it's like i'm what are you reading well i'm reading the letter w today <laughs> yes <laughs> I'm reading about the water cycle, you know, something like that. So, uh, well, that's that's absolutely fantastic, Eugenia. So, uh, so Eugenia, you you mentioned before that when you were in care and you were needing to maintain contact with your brothers, that you had some caseworkers who really just took care of you. Uh, and why don't you why don't you tell me about about them and what they did that was so great? Yes. So I had a few different caseworkers, um, and the ones that really stood out to me. One name, her name was Sarah. And she was big on family. She was big on, you gotta stay connected and this is what you want, so we're gonna make it happen. So she would go and take it upon herself to talk to my brother's social workers and try to get us connected and talk and you know, accommodate and set up all of our visits and things like that. And then another caseworker that I had who really, really got me through my college years. Um, and that really made me appreciate the value of my relationship with my brothers. His name was Chris. And he was just giving me, which was funny because I was the first male social worker that I've ever had. So he was giving me perspective from a guy's point of view on maybe how my brothers are feeling and how to help that relationship, you know, grow and better and how to do that on an adult level versus where I was a teenager. So I had that teenage guidance and I'm having adult guidance. And so they really just made an impact on how to develop and maintain those relationships and how to develop and maintain the relationship I wanted for myself. 
Yeah, I, I hear in everything you're saying, Eugenia, that that your connections to your family and to people you knew and loved were just important to you, right? And uh, yeah. it, it's it you just you just seem really happy. <laughs> people <laughs> who have that just seem seem like they are like they are. And uh, do 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 you stay in touch with uh, with your former foster placements, the people that you stayed with, or your or your or your godmother? Or do you, do you have any contact with any of them anymore? Yes, so I never lost contact with my godmother. So before she was my kinship provider, my placement provider, she was my godmom. So she took me under her wing. She noticed my mom wasn't in the house and she tutored me. She, you know, really gave me that mother experience that I really needed that I was longing for. So I talked to her all the time. <laughs> um, and my sister as well. So we talk and we hang out and things like that. That's very, very wonderful. Now, do you have any idea why uh, they did not look to your sister at first? Was your sister too young at the time or had you lost touch with her? Or what, what was the situation with that? Yes, yeah, so I, I actually lost touch with her and I was just a kid myself. Um, and so primarily all the contact was with my dad. And so once my dad kind of did went his way and we were split up and they were trying to figure everything out, Somehow they got in communication and he told her what was going on and she took it upon herself to find me. And that's what she did. She reached out to me um, and mended that lack of communication for so many years by reaching out and setting up those visits and offering me to come stay with her. Well, that's wonderful. So now here you are, you've gotten through all that and now you're the reigning Miss Black Missouri. Okay, so, uh, so that's, I got a feeling with you that's only the first step to a lot of great things, right? I've just got that, I've got that feeling about you. So you, but but for right now, you're given a platform. You have a you have a space and a voice, and what do you plan to do with that? What do you plan to do with this with the uh, voice you've been given by virtue of uh, the position that you hold? Yes, honestly. What I plan to do, my mission is to not only bring awareness to the foster care system but also educate and equip foster youth with college readiness tools, leadership development, skill training, and resources to help them in their situation, overcoming adversity, how to navigate the foster care system, how to boost those numbers of foster youth who are in high school who's not graduating and getting those to graduation and to college. About 97% of foster youth don't make it um, past high school. So we wanna change that. And that is my mission. And I wanna give those resources and teach them and use my voice and my story to motivate them and inspire them. That if I can do it, they can do it too. Well, that's just inspirational and, and hugely important. And, and well, and cause you look at the, you look at the numbers, you look at the studies where we talk about foster care and what the, the impacts of it can be and, you know, not, you know, not attaining educational uh, success is one of them. And boy, you trumped that. You just completely <laughs> blew that out of the water. And but I think it might have been reading encyclopedias at five might have been a might have been a piece of that. I think that's I, I think that's really terrific. So, listen, you've lived through the system. And when I was a judge on the bench, I I talked to young people. I would ask them what they thought and what they want. And sometimes I would ask them this question. I would get in the you know, sometimes it would just be me and their guardian ad litem so that so that so that they didn't have to state things in front of the whole world that has expectations of them. But I would ask the question like this. If I had a magic wand and could make the world what you wanted, what would it be? 
And then if it can't be that, what would it be instead? And so as you look back over the system, if you could just change stuff, you know, what do you think, what do you think we should do differently? Or better? Or what do we do great? I mean, what, what do you think? Well, first I will start with what we do great. I think the system does great with picking people who are in place as social workers and guardian ad litems who really, really care about the youth, who really, really care about the best interest of the child. And I think the state does a good job at finding those people who have that heart to place in the lives of those kids who are going through. I think one thing we can do better is just offering more resource and training to the parents, the agencies, and the youth themselves on how to navigate this system. A lot of youth come into care under circumstances that are not the best, honestly. But if we can teach them that it's not the end of the world here, this is a stepping stone and giving them the resources from that perspective, of knowing you are not your circumstance, but here are the tools, the people, and the resources that can help get you to where you wanna be. I think if we do that, we can really see a change in the trajectory of our youth in those numbers and people signing on to be foster parents and seeing this community grow like nothing else. So Angie, she just gave you a whole bunch of advice. Uh, any any follow-up questions with regard to all, all of that? Well, I can't write fast enough. Um, obviously, as I was taking those notes diligently here, Eugenia, um, I really, really, oh, I so appreciate when you said train parents on how to navigate our system. That partnership with birth parents is something that we are really working on and, and we're focusing on that. And we're focusing on it in two ways. One, um, for children that are in care um, in an out-of-home placement to help them navigate that. But we're also trying to increase the awareness and the access to resources to parents before children come into care. So in your situation, if we could have provided services to your dad in the home to help keep um, you and your brother safe and to prevent that removal, that's our goal. If we can safely do that by providing those services to parents' rights, um, then you, you wouldn't have to have these changes uh, or other youth in your situation or similar situations wouldn't have to go through that type of, of movement in their life. So I did, um, I jotted down your, your plan there. Um, and I also really loved the way you said to have, hire those that have a heart for this work. And I think that the more you can tell your story, the more that will help inspire our staff. Sometimes, um, our work gets really hard, not sometimes. A lot of times our work gets really hard. So keeping our hearts fresh and in that work is is what we need and your story can really help um, keep keep that passion alive. And I, I recognize your, um, your bravery and your desire or your willingness to be vulnerable in having this conversation and to know that it will be out there on a podcast I just can't speak enough for you about um, how much I admire that in you. You will never know how much your message today will go forward to inspire others to also have similar successful journeys. And I, um, sometimes we just always hear the bad side of it. And so when you're able to tell us the positive side of it, for other youth to hear that that can be the outcome is, is just amazing, Eugenia. Super proud of you, and I. I just really admire you for this. 
Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, and and really, Eugenia, if you and, and you've been around the system, so you know, not everybody, not everybody uh, has as great an outcome as you've had. I mean, you really, you've really, really done great. And it sounds like there's a lot of different people uh, to credit that. But but a Angie's quite right. Uh, you, you, your character, who you are. Uh, is you know the cause of a, of a lot of that, and so it really is impressive. When she says she's over there writing, what she's over there writing is, is she's writing get Eugenia's resume. You know she <laughs> needs to work for Children's Division or the Department of Social Services or the Division of Legal Services or somebody. She needs to be <laughs> with us because she is awesome. I think that's what I think that's what Angie's writing down over there. You know she talked a little bit about your dad, and and it's it's interesting. To see you talk about your dad uh, because Eugenia, your face lights up. You know when you, when you talk about your dad, even though you know his circumstances put you guys in a mess, and at some point it got it got even abusive, difficult, challenging for you all. Uh, you're in touch with him now. Are things better for him now, or does he still struggle? Yes, things are better for him now. Um, he's done a phenomenal job at doing the work. Um, and just really what it means to bounce back and try to make a difference. You know, nobody's perfect. And I had to learn that how to extend grace. Um, everybody goes through something and that wasn't an easy lesson to learn. It took me right. years to learn that. But now, and when I chose to have that relationship with my dad, I chose it as an adult from a adult, uh, adult perspective to know, I want to get to know you as a person. We can work right. on this dad daughter relationship and i think that helped and i think he's taught me a lot and i'm teaching him a lot just the power of what it means to have love and right. you know forgive and i think he's taken that and he's trying his best well and then again not everybody reacts that way some people react with anger and bitterness and you have not mm -hmm. you've uh, you've exercised a grace forgiveness and and mercy and it's and it's powerful for you and you and you're looking back on the good things that he provided for you and the the, the fond memories that you have and and uh, i mean you credit him uh with uh with a lot of uh with a lot of who you are and and how uh things have gone for you do, do your brothers stay in contact with him too yes yes they do so we're getting back to my magic wand we'll get my magic wand out again are there things that if I could, if I could be your fairy godfather and just, you know, have go back in time and make some make stuff happen for your dad. What do you think would have helped him if in that time, that that difficult time when you first wound up going to your godmother's house, what what could we have helped done to help uh, you never have to encounter all of this? Mental health services. Um, I think, especially from maybe a parent's perspective. He really didn't know or understand that because of the pressure that he faced having four kids, raising them basically by yourself right. and still dealing with the issues he dealt with by himself and the substance abuse and the anger and the emotions that he had. Maybe mental health services, you know, free that he could understand what was happening, understand why he felt like this or doing different things and, you know, just something like that. So I think mental health services would have played a big part of it. Um, and just the education piece and the resources to help parent four kids on your own. <laughs> right. Right. So it sounds to me like you, you have a belief that he had, you know, what we in the business call a co-occurring, a co-occurring disorder, right? That he had, he had substance use that was related to mental health 
abuse. And sometimes people, you know, are self-medicating and one thing exacerbates the other one and they kind of, it becomes a spiral, right? And you don't really know which thing caused which thing, right? And it's kind of, kind of a lot of where it, where it goes. So it sounds to me like if we've gotten some mental health treatment to him and uh, maybe some substance abuse treatment and some, uh, and some resources and some counseling with regard to how you'd be a single dad of four children, uh, it could have been different. Mm -hmm. You know, so, so that's well. That's that, that's uh, that, that's encouraging because we're trying to do all that, you know. And it's it's good to know that you look back on it and say that that could have happened, you know. Because again, you know, we're, we're we we've come up with a big plan here in Missouri to try to to try to move services to the front end and to help families stay families and to help them yeah. through. And uh, uh, it's, you know, your story, your story perfectly spools into that because it, in some places, Eugenia, you would not still have a relationship or contact with your dad or maybe your brothers because they would have yeah. just terminated your parental rights and off you would all go, you know. Um, do you think uh, if we had had the opportunity I mean, I know it's science fiction. I mean, it's like trying to rewrite history and we can't do that. But if we would have had the opportunity to have found your sister right from the beginning, uh, would that have been something you would have welcomed? Or would, uh, what do you think if we could have done that from the very start? That would be something that I would have welcomed, especially at that age and back then and everything that I was experiencing. I definitely would have been like, yes, <laughs> please, right. can we, you know, um, do that because I was, I was used to her. I was used to, you know, her sons and her family, you know, so it was ideal. It would have been ideal. Um, but, you know, obviously that didn't happen. But I think the journey to where I came from to the point that I came with her ultimately, you know, in the grand picture was necessary. It helped me learn so much. And I believe God does not make mistakes. And the journey that I went through built my character and that resilience and that tenacity and that drive. And when I got to her, I was able to learn so much more and, you know, grow and go through so much more that helped shape me and who I am. Right. Well, that's, that's, uh, that's a person who's operating with a sense of purpose and, uh, and an understanding of uh, the universe. I think that's very healthy. It's, it's like, um, uh, well, the things that happened to me have been have been used for my good, and I'm I embrace them, and uh, even the challenges I'm going to use them going forward. So you're going to go, you're going to go to law school. I, that's that's the plan, right? So uh, after after you after you go to law school and you pass and you graduate with honors, you're going to come work at Children's Division as one of our attorneys. No, you're you may do that, <laughs> but you don't. What what do you want to do? Do you know what you want to do, or is it? Are you still just exploring that and trying to figure that all out? I have a gist of what I want to do. I know for sure. Um, I love the business world. Um, I love helping women build brands and connections. So definitely business law. But at the same time, definitely want to have my foot in the family law arena where I can go back and help kids and maybe be a guardian at litem because I really know what it's like um, as a kid and being an attorney. I feel like that would be a great perspective and be in a great position to really make change. Well, be careful, Eugenia, because that's what you just described was the path I was on. You know, I went to I went to law school because I wanted to help people. And I had a mom who had really serious mental health issues. And the only reason I didn't wind up in the circumstances you did was probably because of my my dad and 
you know, some other people in the community who helped and, uh, you know, that, that, and, and lo and behold, I go practice law and I'm representing some small businesses and I'm doing some litigation, but I'm doing some of this guardian ad litem work too. And the next thing, you know, I didn't like the way juvenile court was going. The next thing, you know, I'm running for judge. And the next thing, you know, the next thing, you know, Eugenia, you're the director of children's division. So this could happen to you. So I'm just yes. warning you now. I'm just warning you it could happen to you and I think these kind of things will happen to you because I think you're embracing the journey in a wonderful and powerful way and uh really are going to are going to take your experience and use it for the good of others. Uh so I you. you know I I just I just think it's very impressive both what you've been through and how you how you handle it. And uh it's it's exciting. I'm excited. So you have a you have only a year as Miss Black Missouri as it started now. Yes, yeah, so I have a year as Miss Black Missouri. It started now, and then I have all the way until August of 2024, and that's when I hit the national stage to compete for the title of Miss Black USA. All right, and so when you win that, because I'm telling you what, I, there you could win that. When you win that, then you need to, you know, keep keep uh, preaching the message of, uh, you know, take care of people, help people, uh, keep people connected. It's all the stuff we're trying to do here. So it's a, it's amazing. I can't wait to watch it happen. So both that and your legal career and all the other cool things that are going to happen for you. So, uh, Ashton, do you have any other, any other questions for you, Gina? You know, um, I, I think I would love to just ask, like, you you know Eugenia, you've read or or maybe glanced at the the CD plan um, of, of what we're hoping to accomplish in the next um, few years or so. I don't know what the plan timeline on the plan is, but anyway, um, you know, the next five hundred and twenty eight uh, days or something. I don't know. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, what was your first reaction when you read that and saw kind of the direction that um, children's division is is trying to go in, um, given your experiences and and the the kind of platform that you're building? Yeah. So my initial reaction was yes, 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 yes. There is a need, especially the breakdown when it comes to finding social workers and people who want to do the work and how they can accommodate them to make them want to stay or come to the industry of the work. I think that is so important. I spent a lot of time talking to people in the social work department, especially when I was in college and asking them, well, why do you really wanna be a social worker? Coming from somebody who's has, you know, a few different social workers and just getting that. And so seeing in the plan where it targets that, targets, you know, those pay increases, target those benefits and targeting how to decrease the workloads and how to, you know, spread it out. And so they're not burnt out. I love that because like you said earlier, the work is hard and the work is emotional. So to be dealing on an everyday basis with emotional and demanding work, it really makes a difference when you have a organization behind the well-being of their social workers and their employees and then secondly i really really related to and really thought it was good about the family dynamic how to get into the families more and offering those family resources and trainings and sessions about that because a lot of foster parents or people who are aspiring to be foster parents they don't necessarily know everything that the division, you know, has to offer for them and why it's a benefit to do what they do. I think a lot of times people hear, oh, you should do it, but why? 
You know what I mean? It implies that you have a heart, you want to help, but there's so many other great things attached to it. And I think breaking down in the plan about connecting the family aspect to it and really diving in deep really blows it out the water and drives it home for everybody to understand why they're doing it and how that helps the state overall to make a better impact. Well, that's I, I've not had I've not had a former foster child analyze the plan before. That is awesome. <laughs> and, you know, and you and you do it. So you do it so well, because the idea is, of course, that in order to have those good people take care of you and you've had some good people take care of you. I mean, I can tell from your conversations that there are some people who, you know, just just invested in you as part of their career and they can look back on it and say, yeah, you know, Eugenia Wallace is, is, you know, a piece of a piece of my success. Isn't that great? Uh, they're going to be able to do that, but you've got to take care of them so that they can take care of you. I mean, that was that was the gist of the, that piece of that plan. And then and then that family connecting this thing. I mean, it's just helping people remain, retain their connections and give them the ability and the autonomy to have that. You had that all the way through and that's and it's to your credit that you asked for it and that you stated it and you insisted on it. But it's to the credit that somebody asked you because that does not happen all the time. Eugene, I'll yeah. tell you, sometimes people are just shuffled around and and treated like a piece of furniture and that didn't happen to you. People are saying, would you like this or would you prefer that? Or, hey, your sister has reached out. What do you think of this? You have you had the opportunity to have that mastery, to follow your heart, and to retain your connections with all these people. So I think about, you know, like like Angie said, we think about these disrupted placements and how terrible they are. You've got, I'm counted up here, I think you've got about three or four families here that are all family to you in one respect or the other, that undoubtedly all love you, and that you clearly... Uh, care about them by virtue of how you've, uh, you know, described this, how exciting it is that that uh, I'm just it thrills my heart to see that um, somebody came through the system in the way you did in a way that was that was so merciful and compassionate and open and and uh, empowering for you. So thank you. I'm inspired now. I think it's think we do good work all of a sudden. It's awesome. So thank thanks for. Thanks for being you. I'm very excited for what, like I said, what's going to happen. Uh, Ashton, any other questions for you, Gina? No, Angie, what else do you have? I have a, a closing thought here, Eugenia. Um, it's my understanding that you're coming to speak at our State Youth Advisory Board in September. Is that right? Yes. Is that on your calendar? Yes. All right. So, Eugenia, I, one, I appreciate you taking the time to come and meet with our youth, and I am super excited to hear, um, hear the takeaway that our youth will have from that day. I, um, I don't know if you have a title, I guess, for your um, inspirational speaking or, or the engagements that you do as you go forward, but I just would kind of capture today as, um, I don't know, living with grace or giving grace or giving grace during difficult times. I don't know, Eugenia, you just really... Um, when I think about grace and all that you've given, even to our agency, our agency is not perfect, and I'm sure we could have done things better, even as you know, identifying your sister earlier in the journey that you were on. I just think about that, and I'm so appreciative of that, and I know that so many more will learn from that. Um, so I thank you for spending this time with us, and I'm really excited to hear you again in September. Thank really you. Thank, thank you. So Angie, those are those are great parting words. Unless Eugenia, unless you've got something else you'd you'd like to let us know. If any any final thoughts for us before we let you go? 
Yeah, I just want to say thank you. Um, thank you for having me. And, and most importantly, thank you for the work that you're doing. It's not easy. Um, and I see the good and more people are seeing the good and your work is not in vain. There's a lot of kids who, you know, who are striving to be able to go after their dreams and you're all making that possible with the work that you do every day. So thank you. And I would be remiss not to say, you know, God is just good with the grace, like you were talking about, and just mercy and always protecting and guiding me um, and everybody else along the way. So just thank you all for everything that you're doing. Well, Eugenia, it's, it's absolutely uh, it's absolutely just wonderful to have met you and it's inspiring and I appreciate uh, appreciate that word to our folks because it's an it's encouraging. So all of you, you all know Eugenia, uh, she there's there's somebody like her on your caseload and uh, this comes as a sense of calling and purpose. Uh, we're here for a reason and we're doing good work and uh, and Eugenia's proof. Uh, Ashton, one last thing. I, I just wanted to throw out there, um, if you want to hear more from Eugenia, she'll be featured on the Call to Foster podcast as well to tell her story and um, kind of talk with uh, Shasta and Jessica about um, some of the stuff that we talked about here today. Um, I, we're hoping that she'll have some advice for possible future foster parents and um, just uh, we're really looking forward to that too. So, Excellent. So. Uh, if you want to, if you want to hear more from Eugenia, I can't imagine that you wouldn't want to hear more from Eugenia. Listen to the Call to Foster podcast uh, that will undoubtedly be released after this one, right, Ashton? Because we're always in front. No, it's because you're doing that one later. Because <laughs> uh, you're doing that one later, uh, and uh, and you know more more good words uh, from uh, Eugenia. Thank you, Eugenia, for being here with us today, and I want to say thank you to all of you who have listened. Uh, the We Are Children's Division podcast. Uh, until next time. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Listen to more episodes of this podcast or our newest podcast, The Call to Foster, wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to help us reach and inspire more Missourians. Thanks for listening.